0: If you want to pump your body and expand your mind, there's only one place to go. Mind Pump. Mind Pump. With your hosts, Sal Stefano,
1: Adam Schaefer, and Justin Andrews. You just found the most downloaded fitness, health, and entertainment podcast ever. This is Mind Pump, right? Today's episode, we talk about training your core, the abs, the obliques, the muscles. Everybody's interested in the sexy muscles, the functional muscles. Today's episode, we talk all about them, what they do, how to train them, how not to train them, all that amazing stuff. Now, this episode is brought to you by one of our sponsors, Dr. Stephen Cabral and his team. These are functional medicine practitioners. They can help you improve your health. And right now, you can get one of their omega-3 fatty acid supplements. If you buy one, you get one free. By the way, this one has the right amount of the essential fatty acid that you absolutely need. It's, uh, it's one of the best ones, right? So not all omega-3s are the same Dr. Cabral's one of the best ones, buy one, get one free. If you go here, stephencabral.com forward slash omega-3. So it's S-T-E-P-H-E-N-C-A-B-R-A-L.com forward slash omega-3. Once again, it's buy one, get one free. Also, it's the final hours of our new MAPS workout program launch, MAPS Bands. This is an advanced muscle building, fat burning program that only uses bands. And because it's a new launch, it's on sale, and you get some free giveaways. So if you sign up during the launch period, which again, I told you, these are the final hours, you'll get $30 off the normal price, plus you'll get the ebook, Ultimate Bodyweight Training Guide, and you'll get Quick Meals for Health and Fitness. This is a recipe book. So if you're interested and you wanna get the sale and you wanna get the free ebooks, go to mapsbands.com and use the code bands 30 for the discount and the free ebooks. All right, here comes the show. When it comes to aesthetics, One muscle almost always tops the list for both men and women. These are the muscles of the core, the midsection, the abs, the obliques. They represent attractiveness, but they also represent incredible athletic physical pursuit. It's true. Strong core translates to incredible athletic prowess, just like it does to aesthetics. So today's episode, we're going to talk about the core, how to develop the muscles of the core so you can look good and move good, so you can perform well. Let's get to the core of it, Sal. I know. I always wanted to use the word prowess. (laughs) Prowess. It's a weird. Prowess? Prowess or prowess? Prowess. Prowess. There's a W in there, so I wanted to make sure to say the W. And is this true? Is it it, uh, both sexes? Yeah. It's it's almost always top five for both men and women is the midsection. Hmm. Part of the reason is because visible like muscles of the midsection... Show a lot, right? It shows that you're lean, so you have to be lean to see them. You gotta be super dialed to get there. Yeah, you be somewhat. You don't have to be super shredded, but just enough to see that it's you know it's lean and strong. And then when it comes to sports, you know arms and legs, right, uh, are involved in in most athletic uh, pursuits. But what connects the power from the legs to the upper body allows you to move, stabilize. What allows you to throw with a lot of force in the upper body. Uh, or throw with a punch or rotate and catch something mm-hmm. is the stabilization of the core, the strong core. You can have the strongest legs, hips, arms, uh, back, shoulders, but if you have a weak core, you're going to hurt yourself. You're not going to be able to, to to translate that to athletic performance. So a strong core um, is imperative for all those different things. I still think
2: it's crazy that it's more, you're more likely to become a millionaire than have six-pack abs.
1: Isn't that wild? I is think the odds a- of having a six-pack are lower. Yeah. Then, then, to me,
2: that has to be like one of the most fascinating stats that we've ever read. I know. On the show, is that you're more likely to be a millionaire than have six pack abs.
1: Well, think about it this way if you walk outside, and we're in Silicon Valley, right? So millionaires are a little bit hot, you know, probably more common. Yeah, p- put the whole U.S. in there. I bet still, like, you take 100 people, have them lift up their shirts, random people on the street. How many of them would have a six pack? Mm. Not if they're
2: random. Yeah. Zero. Yeah. Probably zero. I, I actually, I bet you it'd be a. a Pretty low percentage, even in a gym, where you have a massive bias. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. No. That's why I used to tell members that when I get uh, like a new member who was like, you know, uh, you could tell we're kind of insecure about their body and how they felt, mm-hmm. and and I would stand them up a lot of times and look at. I said, this this place is not full of all these crazy ripped bodies that people think. And most people in here are just like you and I, and are in pursuit of a better physique and working on it. And it's hard; it's not easy. Like. But I, I don't remember reading that stat until later, until we, we got into the the podcasting when I think you brought it up on the show years ago, and I thought that was the craziest things I've ever heard. And I know, wow, well, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, mean, I,
1: I would say to that part of the reason why it's so rare is it involves, like, um, you, you know, you could have, like, nice-looking arms and have, be at a higher body fat percentage, especially if you're a man, because you don't store tons of the arms, legs, you know. But core, you have to be kind of lean. But also... You know I'm going to make a statement I'd love your guys' opinion on. Um I would say that of all of the misunderstood, wrong, like you know, applied exercises and poor technique and just just uh, myths around exercise, probably more of them circulate around the core than the rest of the body. Like oh, there's so a, that's much a,
2: that's a good that's a a, a a pretty good speculation I think. I yeah. think that
1: Should we uh, treat
3: them completely different than other body parts?
1: Yeah, like they develop
2: different. Well, I would put them up there with because I I think before on the show I've talked about glutes being like the number one like uh, muscle that people have a hard time connecting. I would say abs would be the second. Mm -hmm. I think abs are are number two. Well,
1: let me ask you guys this: Is it God? Think about this. How often do you see someone doing a, a core exercise really properly? Think about that. Very rare. Almost never. Yeah. Almost never. You see a lot of people doing core exercises. Sure. But I almost never see them being done right to the point where that was a selling point for me as a trainer is I walked around the gym and waited for people to work abs because I knew I could show them in three seconds how to do it right. And then they would just, it would blow their minds on on how much differently they felt them.
3: Yeah. And for me, I never, I guess it's interesting. It's rare to see somebody like muscular with, with like fully displayed abs as well. It was like, there was a period there where it was like everybody wanted abs so bad that they would just lean out completely without lifting weights, and it was just like, okay, so you got skinny and runner you can abs. Display, yeah, yeah runner, runner abs. abs. Don't count. And I'm just like, <laughs> uh, sorry, no, that's yeah. not as like what we're going for here.
1: No, what you want, and there's a lot of muscles of the core, but we're gonna we're gonna stick to the, the more common ones because I think if you train kind of these, you're gonna work all the other ones for the most part. Obviously, you have the abs, the abdominals. Then you have the obliques, both internal and external. We're going to combine them into just obliques. Um, and then you have the transverse abdominals, which we'll talk about because I think that's kind of a special muscle uh, that we're talking about. And we're talking mainly of the front of the core. The core really represents all of the muscles around the trunk. But we're going to talk about the muscles on the side and in the front um, and how to work them and and, and develop them. Um, but really, the actions are um, you know obviously flex, flexing the spine laterally to the front. We'll get to the specifics. But a lot of the importance of the core muscles is to stabilize and allow power transfer. So stabilization would be like if I'm throwing a ball as hard as I can, my core has to stabilize so that I don't twist. My body doesn't mm. just twist off it, off of itself. It's right?
3: anchoring and grounding you to the earth. Anti rotation. Yeah.
1: Anti rotation. It's you know we're because we're we're primates that walk on two limbs. The I mean, if you look at like most common places for pain, it's the low back. And it's because um, it's a vulnerable area because we walk on two legs and that, the core has to be able to, when you walk, if you look at someone walking or running, you'll notice that that the opposite arm moves from the opposite leg. So it's so like, for example, try walking right now, <laughs> yeah. right leg forward with your right arm forward. Have you ever tried to do that? <laughs> yeah, <you laughs> <just look laughs> like
3: a robot, like a weird man. It doesn't,
1: yeah, there's, there's counterbalance, counter rotation. The core is transferring all of that and it needs to be strong and stable. Every time you stand up, sit down, pick something up, um, those muscles have to – be because the spine, you take your spine out, it'll just flop over in whatever direction gravity tells it. So it's all those muscles around the core that protect it and keep it stable and ca- allow for power transfer. So for, I mean, for purposes of lifting, you want to get strong in big lifts like <clears throat> the overhead press or the deadlift or the squat – yeah. Uh, you better have a strong, stable core. You want to get good at, you know, uh, sports besides the technique. Well, you better have a strong core. And then if you want to look good on the beach, that's the muscle that the opposite sex tends to um, notice the most.
3: Well, and, and two, and that's sort of uh, in contrast to what you're talking about in terms of what people like want to pursue this look where they don't really consider the obliques as much yeah. and, and they don't really consider a lot of those tr- like twisting transverse type movements uh, that will like boost your strength, performance, and all of that. Um, and it's really just like the pursuit is is to like decrease the size of the waist overall and to be able to display your abs as like the six pack. Yes. So, but yeah, the obliques, totally underrated muscle. Like very important, super impressive, uh, and um, it's it, it definitely stands out and chisels out like your whole midsection. Yeah,
1: we'll, we'll get to the obliques. Yeah. Um, but you're you're. It's funny when you look at Greek. Uh, sculptures and statues, they based those statues and they were like Hercules, right? They like Or um, David, right? They would sculpt them based off of the high-performing athletes that they saw or soldiers of the day. Same thing with the Roman statues, right? Off the gladiators. Well, you'll always know about notice as well-developed core muscles, especially obliques, because really strong people don't have abs and no obliques, like we try to do with yeah. bodybuilding, right? It's- they have well-developed obliques because they're so important. Um, but let's start with the abs. And as we go through this, what we're going to do is we're going to talk mm. about the two, the, the the points of attachment of muscles and then the way the muscle fibers run, because that'll tell you how to train them, how to train them and what a muscle, what a muscle ends up doing. So if you have two points and a muscle attaches on one point and another point, and the fibers run straight between them, when that muscle contracts, it pulls those two points closer together. So if you look at any anatomy chart and you look at muscles, you can pretty much figure out what that muscle does when it contracts, because it'll pull those two points together in the direction of the muscle fibers. So with the abs, um, without getting specific, just general, the attachments are the the rib cage, the the lower rib cage, and the pelvis. So they attach here and here. And when they contract, they bring the pelvis closer to the rib cage. They do what's called um, flexion of the spine. Now what they don't do is flexion at the hips, This is where people screw up. So anytime you see someone doing sit-ups or crunches or ab exercises, they think just bending forward or bringing the legs up works the abs. The abs stabilize, but they're not really working in a full range of motion. What the abs do when they work in a full range of motion is they bring the rib cage closer to the pelvis. It rolls you up. That's the full action of the abdominals. But they also stabilize the spine. So you want to pick exercises that do both if you really want to develop them.
2: Now, why would you explain to a client that our hip flexors tend to take over a lot of exercises like this for people? Is it more that they don't understand how the abs work or do you think it's because the hip flexors are just overactive because of their daily use and then when a movement like that occurs, they just default to the, the hip flexor?
1: We we don't do a lot of full range of motion ab exercises in everyday life or movements, mm-hmm. but we do work our hip flexors because we walk. So when you tell someone to lift their legs up, like on a hanging leg raise, which is a very hard <coughs> ab exercise, mm-hmm. they, they know to get their legs up. And what they do is they just automatically turn on those hip flexors and bend at the hips. Um, and when you do a, try to do a sit-up, they'll, do, they'll even do the same thing. You'll see them sit up with this real upright posture because it's all hip flexors. Yeah. And so. I
3: think too, like <clears throat> I could compare it, I guess, like squatting versus hip hinging movements. Like there's a clear distinction there. That's like a little bit of a hard um, transition to to educate somebody like how to hip hinge versus like how to squat down. And um, because like a lot of natural inclination is to just, you know, squat their way down and to be intentional, uh, with um, maximizing the pull, so you get more uh, stretch out of the the hamstring, for instance, or uh, be able to like focus just completely on that. I think it's the same with abs in terms of like, you know, what what what's your desired outcome? You're trying to to contract the abs at, at their their full capacity, so you have to be able to treat it, like you said, from point to point and, and shorten that that range. Yeah,
1: so. and 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 use the same things that you understand about the rest of the body, yeah. like tension. And rep ranges that yeah, build. So you got to literally curl up like a ball yes. to, to be able to make that happen. Yeah, but rep ranges and tension. I mean, what builds biceps builds your abs too. So there's a lot of myths around like you got to do 100 reps. Like, no, same thing like with your biceps. You keep the reps in, in within the muscle building ranges, which is low to like 20, 25. I
2: think that's one of the biggest myths that were out there. Yeah. I think that was, at least that's what I believe, even in my early years as a trainer. Same. Uh, you know, th- th- there's this idea that oh, your your calves and your abs uh are, have can take more of a beating because you use them all day long constantly, oh, and so yeah. therefore you should do even more repetitions to get them to build. And the truth is, I actually when I figured out that that was not true. Uh, Saw the greatest results going the opposite direction because you rarely ever see anybody train five or eight reps in abs, just like you ever see anybody do five or eight reps in calves. You
1: never see anybody do less than twenty reps for abs, right?
2: Both those, and I felt like the the greatest gains I saw in both those muscle groups came from actually focusing on heavy training and mm-hmm. slow and controlled and only doing five reps, I saw a huge difference in my abs and my calves because I had all my life thought that I needed to be doing all these supersets and 20 reps yep. and 50 reps, 100 reps, like completely the opposite.
1: Same here. I did. Uh, I went for years thinking I didn't have good core genetics and I have to get shredded to really see them to figuring that out, doing decline sit-ups really slow. So I'd roll myself up and only be able to get like really slow, good, like eight reps. And Mm -hmm. my abs grew to the point where my abs now are one of my strongest body parts. That was over the course of like seven months of training. Literally how big of a difference I made uh, to my physique by doing that. So yeah, tension, reps, but you got to have perfect form. You have to have perfect form in order for this to work. Um, Now, some of the best exercises for people are the ones they think encourage good form. Like uh, there's a movement called that that I called hip flexor deactivators. We actually did a video um, on YouTube, an old one. I used to teach clients that exercise because it helped them to engage the abs without engaging the hip flexors. Mm-hmm. And then the next step, which I still to this day, it's one of my favorite exercises, are physio ball crunches. I like physio ball crunches because you wrap your body around the ball so you get full extension. And then if you keep your hips in place, <clears throat> so you don't rock back with your hips, so you keep them in place... It's a full ab crunch or full ab sit-up. It's a full range of motion exercise. If you do physio ball crunches right with a full range of motion, especially if you keep your hands here up by your head or above your head, like long lever crunches, even people with really strong cores, like 10 reps, you're going to you get need. a phenomenal uh, uh, exercise or workout. So
2: uh, squish the bug happened. It was like one of the be- best cues I ever Gave a got a got from somebody. I can't remember where I originally heard that from, um, but I remember teaching that before you. Actually, so, you know, everybody knows how to do a traditional crunch um where you sit down, the, lay down on the ground. Your knees are bent at about a 45 degree angle or whatever like that. And you're, you're just crunching up. But when you do that short range of motion like that and your hip flexors are overactive, it's like hardly any ab work whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And you'll see everybody has like this kind of natural arch in their low back where you can fit your hands uh, in that gap. Oh, yeah. And so, cueing people to. Flattening. flatten their back and mm-hmm. all they're really doing is they're they're rolling their basically deactivating their hip flexors cuz you roll the pelvis like and this activating the abs, but yeah. it's such an easy cue for a client who doesn't understand how to you know deactivate their hip flexors or roll their pelvis you just say pretend like there's a bug in on your low back and try and squish that bug and that automatically rolls that pelvis activates the core and then when they crunch they get a better contraction yeah. i think that's been one of the best cues i've ever given i point.
1: um i like for people especially people who are learning how to do this um, or activate their, their abs fully. I like reverse crunches better than traditional mm-hmm. crunches. Mm-hmm. Reverse crunches are harder to do wrong mm-hmm. than a traditional crunch. So that's usually where I would start people is I'd have people lay flat on the floor um, and they would just, i just bend their knees. You and sort t- of
3: bypass that whole like yep. hip flexor issue that way too.
1: Yep. Yep. Love that exercise. And then advanced would be like a leg raise, but a good ab leg raise does not look like the at leg raises you see people doing the gym. No. In fact, very few people could do them properly because they're hard. But what it looks like if you're hanging from a bar or you're supporting yourself by your elbows, yes, you lift your legs, but it's the pelvis that rotates the legs up. It's not the legs bending up at the hips. So it looks like you're coming off the bench and giving yourself like this long lever reverse crunch with a mm-hmm. lot of resistance is whats is, what it is. Really strong abs. I mean, at my peak, I was getting like 10 good reps. So this is a high uh, tension exercise, but it can really build the abs right if you do them properly. Then we get to the obliques, the sides of the core. Um, and the obliques are, I mean, the attachments again, the rib cage on the side, the pelvis on the side. But if you look at the way the muscle fibers run, they kind of run diagonally, the internal and, and external obliques, uh, both run diagonally in different directions. That means when they crunch or they, when the muscle, uh, contracts, it rotates the body. It rotates and twists the body. So some of the best exercises for full oblique development are cable chops or mm. twisting crunches, things that. Rotate your trunk, not your not just your body. Because I see, see some people doing this where they twist, but you see the whole body twisting. You literally have to rotate the trunk. Then you're going to hit those obliques uh, with that kind of full range of motion and really develop them.
2: Now, when doing that exercise, one of the best cues I learned was learning to resist the way back. Because the common thing someone yeah. sees a wood chop is they swing just like if they were to swing a baseball bat, and then they let the cable kind of swing them back. Totally. Um, same rules apply, just like we talk about with building your biceps. Uh, if you neglected the eccentric portion of the exercise, you'd be missing mm-hmm. out on one of the best ways to build your biceps. The same thing goes for building your core, your abs, your obliques. Um, that exercise is, I think one of the best exercises you can do for your obliques. But one of the things that people miss out on is the resisting of that on the way back in yes. the wood chop.
3: Yeah, definitely. And I think step one is anti rotation and that's, yes. that's really like, in. Tube, again, this is sort of like you'll feel it just like you would your abs are stabilizing you when the hip flexors are doing work. Mm-hmm. Same with this, to where, like, if I'm just holding a position and I'm loaded on one side, you're really going to feel. Uh, That isometric tension from the opposing oblique, uh, which is good. Like you want to be able to have control, maintain control next sort of level to that is what Adam's talking about. Like, you know, really being able to rotate, but then uh, not allowing that force to pull you back and rotate with it. Uh, And then the third phase of that, I would then have a pivot where I then would rotate with it. So now I'm doing it more of a, sports specific or functional type of a yeah.
2: you know what that cue that reminds me of or that progression I should say reminds me of the progression that we take someone through a seated row mm. when you first are teaching them to be upright retract their shoulders and you keep them in this kind of fixed position and then as they become more advanced they understand the action of the muscles then you allow them to go okay now take it all roll the scapula forward roll the scapula back and you take them through this greater right. full range of motion, more range of motion but way. first you got to get them to understand what muscle they're trying to engage I feel the same action is in when you're teaching a wood chop and you're trying to engage the obliques and the abs to resist anti-rotation once they understand the action okay now i can take them in this more athletic movement like you're talking about where it's a greater range of motion i go all the way
1: through. yeah my one of my favorite count like anti-rotation exercise for the obliques would be to stand with a cable with your hands close to your chest and the cable is is at the side here so it's pulling me to the side but i'm standing straight and strong and then all i do is i extend my arms out in mm-hmm. front of me and bring it back. And what that does is I'm lengthening the lever, thus increasing the tension on my obliques. But the goal is to stay as rigid as possible and then bring it back. So it's more tension, less tension, more tension, less tension. Mm-hmm. But what well, my obliques are doing are resisting rotation with that more tension. Yeah. Now, why is that important? You want obliques to stabilize your spine so you don't literally twist off yourself. That's That can cause like if you step off of a curb or you're playing a sport like football, somebody hits you, you don't want your your spine to just twist all, all the way, you want your obliques to stabilize to prevent that from happening. It also allows you to throw fast and throw hard and to run really well. So that, that counter rotation stabilization is super important uh, for obliques and athletic performance.
2: You know, I brought up the progression and compared it with the seated row. And part of the reason why I want to do that for the audience is because it's, it's an, it just reminds me of another example of what we unfortunately get caught up in online, which is you have like literally three different uh ways of teaching the exercise that we just explained and we explained it in like oh I would teach the anti-rotational first then I would teach yeah. catching it and resisting it on the way back oh then I would take it through full range of motion in a more athletic movement what you'll find on TikTok and Instagram are these clips of like oh, oh, one trainer bashing another trainer for teaching one of yep. those three as if one is wrong and the other one is more right and the reality is that, yep. that that's part of a part of a progression I see this a lot in uh, in our you know social media culture today of like you know, putting down other coaches and trainers and trying to, you know, claim that your way is better than other way when in reality, like a lot of times it's, it's a, a situation like that.
1: Yeah, and, you know, again, uh, I've seen more, God, this is, I'm thinking about this. There's I've seen more people who are otherwise muscular and well-developed who have poor core strength and core stability than, uh, than any other muscle, I would say. Um, and it's, it's because technique is so off and because you can get lean and still look like you have a developed core. And immediately you create a ceiling
3: of potential.
1: Totally. Yeah, you're, if it becomes the, if you, look, if you can't squat heavy or deadlift heavy or overhead press heavy because it hurts your low back, that that means your core is not as strong as the rest of your body needs. Yes. That's actually, it should not be, ever be that way. Power's leaking. Your, your power's leaking and you can't, it just can't stabilize your body. It's like trying to put, a bunch of weight into the back of a truck, but it's got like really, it's got, you know, shocks made out of paper. Like it, you're going to crumple and break. And that means you that means your strength is worthless. It really does. Like yep. if you can't support it with your state, with your core, your arms and legs might as well be a lot weaker. In fact, you'd probably be safer having weaker arms and legs because God forbid you do exert full power. You're going to hurt your lower back. Mm-hmm. Um, I know people who've hurt in the lower back bench pressing because their core is so weak because you know you have to brace and they go, oh, my back hurt from the bench press. So, yeah. um, and I, again, I think this is probably with a, with people who work out a lot and because the technique tends to be off, this is probably one of those top parts of the body that people just misunderstand. Mm-hmm. Next up, the last main muscle would be the transverse abdominals. Now this is like, it's like the body's weight belt. Okay, so when you suck in your stomach, that's what this muscle does. Now, here's what's interesting about this from an aesthetic point of view. This in particular with women is an area that I would focus on, especially women who had children. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, and I would get this with women, they'd have a baby and all the muscles of the core have to change their function with the growing baby. And some muscles have to atrophy to allow for room. The transverse abdominis is one of them. You can't pull in your midsection yeah. when you're you know, eight months pregnant so it would just atrophy and weaken, and it's supposed to, and that's fine. The body figures out ways to stabilize when you're pregnant. Obviously, stabilization, you're not going to be as stable as you were when you weren't, but you know, you're know you okay. But then you have the baby, then you work out, you lose body fat, you get lean, you work your abs, you work your obliques, and then you're like, why can't I get this lower belly pooch to go away? I remember the first time this this happened. I had a client or a potential client come and ask me about this, and we tested her body fat. She was at 17%. She was lean, like that's really lean, fit. You could see some abs, you could see some obliques. And yet, I could see what she was talking about. She had kind of this lower belly pooch. Well, I I, I talked to one of my experienced trainers. This when I was a new trainer. They said, oh, it's the transverse abdominus. That's the muscle that pulls things in. So she could develop her abs and obliques all she wants, but she's not going to bring her waist and core back in until she strengthens that. And so what, that's what that muscle does. And
2: what is that? Is that like the, the organs and stuff sliding yeah, down? Yeah, that's gravity pushing yeah.
1: the organs down and out. Uh-huh. And, if and that because you have not-
2: no... In, because your transverse abdominis, it's made up of 28 different internal muscles that wrap around the spine, right? So if this is super flimsy and weak, the organs are going to slide down and yeah. out. The ability for you to keep that tight and drawn in is what's going to keep that from... Yeah,
1: because your abs are attached up here and here. So pushing them out this way is kind of easy. Um, so this particular muscle, if you want to strengthen it, you have to practice drawing in. Mm-hmm. So on your hands and knees, uh, vacuum pose is one of the most effective ways to do this. And what's interesting is when I've taken women postpartum and had them try to do this, it's fascinating because a lot of them can't even- Can't even feel it. They can't
3: even connect yeah. Yeah. to this muscle. It's a really hard one to reestablish.
1: Yeah. yeah. So we start by standing straight up, have them draw in, and then we slowly move them down to that You know, uh, hands and, and knees. Oh, that's position. interesting
2: that you start that way because I actually start in the four-point maneuver to, yeah. to use uh, gravity to show them. so they can feel it. Because a lot of times that way it creates some sort of artificial resistance. Sometimes when they're standing upright, I feel like they they can't quite. So what
1: I'll do is I have them stand upright. I'll tell them to draw on their belly button, and then as they're standing upright, I'll have them hold that, and then try and get in that position, and uh, then relax I'm, so they can feel okay, the draw.
2: Yeah, because I feel Cause
1: sometimes it's like you can't even connect. Yeah, you know? no, if you can't.
2: You can't connect. You can't connect like that. But I mean, I found the in the four point maneuver, it's it's. So that way that the organs are pulling down and so they feel like, oh, I'm trying to lift like this Like there's back. my belly hanging. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So
1: like cat-cow uh, is right. like an example. It's kind of a classic one. Yeah. yeah, what it kind of looks like. It's a yoga pose. But when either. they when they pull the back up, they have to pull the belly button up towards the spine and and squeeze, and squeeze really hard. Bodybuilders used to do this on stage. Frank Zane was really famous for this. So if you ever, yeah. you know, it's crazy.
3: That's that's the great like just to look at it like what the human body can do. Like to see you know that that clear like extreme example of like normal flex and then down the vacuum and it's like you could get real far back in there and see the ribs really stick out. Yeah. Well, and once you learn to
2: you know connect to that muscle and activate it like that, it's such a, a valuable tool. I mean, there's. For like on the plane, right? And uh, like I sort of feel my low back. So that's actually one of the first things I'll do is I'll kind of pull sit it in up. in that brace? And, yeah, pull in my core and then brace and it'll relieve that. A lot of times people don't realize that's what's happening when you're in a car or in a plane or something like that. And you're you're relaxing, your core is not activated at all. And so all the weight and gravity is pulling or stressing on the spine or your hips or whatever. And simply by drawing that in and activating, it, it'll relieve all that. And mm-hmm. it feels so much. So once you learn how to do that, you can control that. You know learning to activate that throughout the day is a, is a good practice.
1: Yeah, and I remember at one point there was all this debate about wearing weight belts. and one side is like, if you wear a weight belt, it'll it'll reduce activation of the core, make your core weak. And then they came out with those fMRI studies showing um, muscle activation, I think it was. I think it was fMRI um, or or MRI. And they showed, oh no, when you wear a weight belt and you do squats and deadlifts and presses, you still activate the core. If anything, mm-hmm. you activate the abs a little bit more. And so yeah. so then that side was like, see, it's totally fine to train with the belt. It'll, it'll activate will just
3: It trains you to push out.
1: Yeah, so activating and having a good muscle recruitment pattern are two different things. What a belt does, a good powerlifting belt does, is it creates this external stabilization. And the way your core uses it, if you ever, for powerlifters know this because you have to learn how to wear a weight belt and how to use it. Your core, you push out against the belt and then the belt creates stability. In the real world without a weight belt, that is not what your core does to stabilize. So if you always train with a belt, yeah, you're going to activate your core, but you're going to learn how to stabilize your core in a way that doesn't work without a belt, and you'll actually increase your risk of injury in the real world. So for good core stabilization, um, don't wear a belt. Now, if you're going to compete in powerlifting... And you need to wear a belt, then you should yeah. you should train a one. It's part of the
3: sport, then you definitely want to learn it.
2: Well, right. this I'm glad you brought this up because we actually had somebody in our forum just recently, uh, a female who's going through our powerlifting program, and she asked because she's never used a belt before if she should use a belt. And um, there there was there's there was some debate from other you know guys that wear uh, weight belts saying like oh you should or it's uh, great and this and that. And We all said Protect your back. We all said don't unless you unless you're going to compete. And the competition allows you to use the belt because the belt can be an advantage, right? Yeah, it can you have be to a, learn how
1: to use it. And practice right, with and
2: that. so then then it makes sense. Okay, train with it so you get good at your competition because now I'm I'm advising you in sport. I'm not advising you as an overall person who's trying to be as healthy as possible. If I'm trying to advise you that way then I tell you don't use the belt because it is. It's going to train a different recruitment pattern and unless you're going to walk around with a weightlifting belt in every day throughout the day, mm-hmm. it doesn't make sense for that be the way that you brace because one day you're going to bend over to pick a chair up or, you know, the couch or something heavy and your body is going to think to push out against the belt that doesn't exist because you're not wearing it right now and you would much rather have trained it to draw in to support you there which you don't need a belt in order to do that.
1: Right. Okay, so now that we know like bracing involves the core just stable tensing and drawing it a little bit. This is a great way to do your stabilization exercises, to practice that, right? Some of the best uh, stabilization exercises involve heavy loaded walking type movements. Oh, yeah. Some of the best. Uh, so overhead carries, carries in the rack position, farmer walks, suitcase carries, holding something heavy, keeping your body stable and strong and tight, bracing the core and walking for steps with that movement, right? That movement and your body having that counter rotation. Excellent stabilization exercises. I would say some of the best stabilization exercises are these ones right here. Then you have the classic like plank, right? Plank, mm-hmm. you could do planks. Planks are also great stabilization. But in in terms of like applicable, like real world stabilization, nothing in my opinion is better than the, the heavy walk.
2: Well, plank like drawn maneuver, I think is a great place to teach what you're trying to do because to your point about the farmer carries overhead carries racks all these actually that is going to challenge it in a real world way but you first need to know how to activate right. it right mm-hmm. and you need to know which i think that's a, a stimulus a, another great point that we're bringing up in the show because we do talk a lot about the values of overhead carries and farmer walks but if you do them and you don't activate the core or uh, brace it right, yeah, or brace it correctly, uh, you're not getting a lot of value out of that movement, right? You're just fatiguing probably your shoulders or your forearms, or your arms that are holding the weight. Um, the main part or the biggest benefits of that exercise is to get yourself into good posture, which, by the way, just getting into good posture will also many times draw in the core because in order to er erect the the spine, yeah, stack your spine up and get yourself with the chest out and the shoulders back, the core will draw in to hold the spine in that position. And it really
3: exaggerates that when you have anything overhead. So the compensations are a lot more likely to occur and that's why it's so important to start. Uh, you know, with being able to connect and recruit properly, because you need to be able to create a safe, stabilized uh, spine. Before now, we like start adding any locomotion where variables get you, um, you know, left to right forces, twisting forces, a lot more so than just a straightforward sagittal movement.
2: Yeah. Now, so you you brought up earlier that you know you train the abs like you would train any other muscle, um, your bicep, and tricep, with as far as the different sets reps, things like that. How do you guys prioritize? Like we we addressed like three major functions, right? Of mm. the the core slash abs. Um, are, are you hitting all three of these specifically in a routine? Are you, uh, Monday doing maybe one, one function Wednesday, doing another function Friday, doing another function. Um, I don't think necessarily either one of those is right or wrong, but no. how, how, how do you prefer?
1: I've almost always done, uh, the the core workout, uh, all, all at once. And I'll typically start with the stabilization stuff, then move to the full range of motion stuff. So it'll be like, you know, heavy walk, or it would be like stabilization, counter-rotation, walks, and then I'll move mm-hmm. to the sit-ups. and the you know, Which makes the, the sense because spr-
2: you don't want to yep. directly fatigue, no, you're doing full-range motion stuff. And, and then, then do go a heavy farmer walk. And Yeah, then yeah, go do yeah. something no, where again. you have to stabilize. Yeah. Yeah.
1: By the way, if you do ab exercises and your lower back hurts, that's a clear sign that you're using your hip flexors too much. Because one of the hip flexors, the psoas muscle, actually attaches at the lower spine. And if you're doing like all these leg raises and stuff, you're like, why does it hurt my lower back? That's why. That muscle is getting fatigued. And well, you'll, where you're going to often feel it is in the low back. The low back is because that's the, the point of one of the insertions or one of the attachments of that particular muscle. So there's, that's like a red flag. I'm doing ab exercise, but my back hurts the next day or, or while I'm doing it. You're not doing the ab exercises right yep. if that is the, the case. Also, by the way, um, we have a core building program called the NoBS Six Pack Formula. Because this episode is all about developing the muscles of the core and the abs, we're going to put it 50% off. So if you want to check that program out and get signed up, go to nobs 6 and then use the code NoBS50 for the 50% off discount. Check this out. If you want more free fitness information, we have guides that can help you, and they are nothing, they cost nothing, they're free. Go to mindpumpfree.com. You can also find all of us on Instagram. Justin is at mindpumpjustin. I'm at mindpumpdestefano,
0: And Adam is at mindpumpadam. Thank you for listening to Mind Pump. If your goal is to build and shape your body, dramatically improve your health and energy, and maximize your overall performance, check out our discounted RGB Super Bundle at mindpumpmedia.com. The RGB Super Bundle includes MAPS Anabolic, MAPS Performance, and MAPS Aesthetic.